Welcome to Illuminate Greatness, the podcast that explores the latest trends in marketing and public relations and highlights the most positively powerful brands and people who are making a difference in our world. And now your host, entrepreneur, marketing and public relations expert, advocate, spiritual explorer, mother, and founder of Olive Creative Strategies, Jennifer Borba von Stauffenberg. Welcome to Illuminate Greatness. I am so happy today to be sitting here with Sandy Cottrell. She is the director of Artwalk San Diego, which now has events in Little Italy in April, Liberty Station, and Carlsbad in August and September. Is that correct? Correct. Awesome. And she's the co-founder and treasurer of ArtReach, which is such an important organization in San Diego. And she teaches at SDSU once a year for what? what is your class exactly? It's called Festivals and Large Public Events. Amazing. And before that, for 15 years, she co-owned PRA Destination Management. So we're going to talk about that as well. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Well, thank you. It's an honor. Oh, no, the honor is mine. Sandy has made such a big impact in my life. I don't even think she realizes it, but years ago when I was younger and just exploring and not really sure where I wanted to land in life, I came across Art Walk. My husband and I at the time, I don't think we were even married. We were just driving through Little Italy. It happened to be that weekend. We saw it. I'm a big art collector. I love art. And I thought, I want to live in this neighborhood. And really, that event is one weekend, but it made such an impact on me. I wanted to live there so that when that event came around every year, I would be able to enjoy it. Also, when I started Olive, Art Walk was one of the most important accounts for me to secure. And I knew that there was a long lasting relationship with another agency. And so I just kind of stayed away until the opportunity came to me. And I'm just so grateful to work with you. So thank you so much for being such a great partner to Olive. Well, we've been very grateful for all Olive has done for our events, and you certainly bring out the people. The attendance has grown over the years. A lot of it due to the work you do. Oh, well, I appreciate that. But this is about you, not me. <laughs> so I want to hear about how you got into event management, and did you always know that you would want to do something like this? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> how did you get here? So you mentioned PRA Destination Management, which I co-owned for 15 years. Prior to that, I was with another destination management company that many sort of credit as being the first in the field. And I started working there when I was 19 years old. I knew the owner from the neighborhood. I was the neighborhood babysitter, car washer, did whatever I could to get gas money back in the day. See, connections matter. Yes. And so he one day asked me if I wanted to work at a convention, and the rest is sort of history. But in those early days, we were making up an industry as we went, figuring out you know how to do logistics, from transportation to themed events to you know just anything outside of what a hotel or airline could do. Wow. So and that turned into a fifteen year. So I was business. with that company for ten years. For ten years, okay. I actually opened their Los Angeles office when I was twenty four. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why he trusted me to do that at that age, but it became a big success. So, and then after leaving there and teaming up with Patty Roscoe, who was my partner for 15 years, 
in PRA destination management, pretty much managed every type of corporate sports, public and private event you can imagine, but they were on a completely different and much smaller scale than what I do now with 100,000 people. So, but definitely that time in my life informed everything that we do now. We worked on a lot of things like Olympic, Super Bowls, corporate clients bringing large groups in to entertain at those kind of sports events. That sounds all very exciting. You said the Olympics. What was that like? The Olympics was my very first event that I worked on when I joined with Patty. That's unbelievable. So we opened the company in July in Orange County because the Ritz-Carlton was getting ready to open. It was the place to be at the time. And she called and she said, well, you have your first client. It's in LA and it's 6,000 Buick dealers. Wow. And that happened about a month after we opened the office. So that's incredible. Yeah. I think that's how you know when you are stepping into something that you are supposed to be doing when an opportunity like that lands. It's like, hell yes, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I think it has always been in my blood because even when I was attending Grossmont College back in we won't go to years at this point. <laughs> but one day I marched into the drama teacher and I said, I think we should start a renaissance fair. And he said, oh, that's a great idea. And I did it. So that's really cool. <laughs> it's well, always been there in my genes, I guess. That's amazing. And how long did that renaissance fair carry on? I don't know, really, because, I mean, as a junior college, I was only there for two years, so I knew know that it did continue for a time, back when Renaissance fairs were all the thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So you had quite a sizable team at PRA, Destination Management. What was that like to, how big did it get, what, and what did you learn from that experience? I think at its largest in the Orange County LA office, which I ran, it was about 32 to 35 full-time. And then there were always, of course, around about 100 part-time people that go out with the groups and oversee the events. Not to mention all the vendors that you have to manage to do that kind of a scale. It kept me awake at nights. That was a lot of staff management and a lot of worrying about overhead and finances where honestly for me the fun part of events is the creative part like taking a hotel ballroom and turning it into Argentina or doing amazing things with lighting and projections which are the things that drew me into the business to begin with and so as you do that you get farther and farther away from what you love as your whole time is spent managing people so yes I definitely had a few hard knock <laughs> lessons well, that was in that some advice field. you gave me early on. You told me to stay focused on what I love and not to allow it to get so big that I didn't get to do it anymore. And that is something that I struggle with as a business owner. And really just in the last couple of weeks, I had an opportunity, big transition on our team and I started to do the work and I had so much fun. And even though it's a stressful time, it's the most fun that I've had in a really long time. And I've learned a lot about myself and I always, over the years, honestly, have heard your voice in my head. Just that it was, it was, it really impacted me because initially, when you said it, I was like, "Well, that was your experience, but maybe it won't be mine." And then, as it happened, I could hear your voice and just kept thinking, "If I really love this work, I need to pump the brakes and figure this out." Because it's true, I 
have, you know, built a 20 year career of doing PR and loving it and being great at it to all of a sudden being an admin person who has to understand paychecks and all these things and dealing with HR consultants. And it's, it's kind of terrible. And what I really want to do is what I'm gifted at, which is the actual work. So I'm grateful to you. And I think it's important for people to hear things like that because so much of what we do is like building, building, building. And then we wake up one morning and we ask ourselves, how long has it been since I've done that thing that I love so much? And that was me. And I got to send out a TV pitch, which is part of what we do. That's not really something I was even doing for a long time when I was still in the work. But I had so much fun connecting with my friends who are producers. I even went on to the TV segment and actually did the spokesperson part for the (laughs) segment. I had my face painted for another TV segment and it was the most fun. And again, I just, you know, I heard your voice and I thought, well, what do I need to do to make sure that no matter what happens moving forward, that I get to do what I'm gifted at instead of all the other things? So not to mention with that large company, we went through a time because Los Angeles was a big part of my market where we had riots and fires and then people stopped coming to L.A. So we had to do some very painful downsizing and that just knocked me out. I think that was the beginning of me going, I can't, I can't. It's just too hard. So It's HR uh, issues that keep me up at night, not the work itself ever. I love the work, but it is so difficult to have to tell people bad news, whether it's about performance or whether it's about just an extenuating circumstance that you know will impact their life. And I know for us, the hardest part is that our cycle, when it usually happens, is like close to the holidays. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I hope I can get through these holidays before I have to make any difficult decisions because it's the very worst time of the year. And there's just so many stressors that come along with having a business that a lot of people don't think about. Well, and even with our very small team, you know, there are always going to be those issues. But right now our team is basically some people work on other events as well, other things with Artwalk, but our core team is really only four people. Yeah. And then we expand to about six or seven people when it's time for events because of other sort of divisions in our organization. But the small team is such a dream. I, there's very little people management needed because they all work so hard and they all love what they do so much that it's a completely different experience. Awesome. So we talked a little bit about PRA destination management. And then what I really want to do is spend some time talking about ArtReach as well, which you found co-founded. Mm-hmm. Why is ArtReach so important? And tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, to be honest, we wish that ArtReach was not needed. My sister and I created it together in 2007 when we began to realize that many of the San Diego County schools have no art lessons, no art teacher, no art resources at all. It's really devastating. I was telling Sandy before we started recording that when I toured schools for my son Otto, I actually cried after I left some of the campuses because I couldn't imagine children going to school at places where there was no color. It was like the campus literally felt great to me. As somebody who surrounds myself with art, I just felt like little by little, my child would lose the magic 
and not want to have it around him if he wasn't exposed to it. And also I felt so curious about how they would learn without art because when I was little, I learned how to color by drawing fairies on a paper or whatever it was, but it was such an, a big part of how I processed and how I learned. And my son is so much like me. I couldn't, I, I just kept touring schools until I landed where I felt safe. Well, he's, he is lucky because, and I feel like most people are shocked to learn that schools don't have art. We have found that when our art reach teachers go into a school, if they've had nothing artistic by the time they're about third graders, they are ready to give up. They're, they find it like too hard or say, I can't do this. So it's really important to have it right from kindergarten on up. But what ArtReach has been doing for the last 12 years is taking professional artists that teach with all of the teaching standards of the California requirements for different grade levels, different skills they're supposed to be learning at different levels. And our spin on it is exploration. Mm -hmm. We never say, let's copy Picasso or let's copy Surratt or those kinds of programs exist and they're fine. But we try to really get the kids to express themselves. Some components of it are almost like art therapy. Sometimes we're teaching lessons that are incorporating other things that they're learning in their curriculum at that time. It's the ocean, the environment, the missions, whatever it is. So we'll collaborate with the school on those things. So how often do you guys go to each school? Pretty much we have a requirement that we go 10 times. In the beginning, we would go whatever the school wanted us to do. If they wanted us to come once, we would go once. We've learned that in order to build on the skills and to have any kind of meaningful impact, it needs to be 10 times. So sometimes it's even more. There have been schools where we're pretty much the artist in residence there. So it's different with every school. We customize everything we do for what the school's looking for. Sometimes the school asks us to come just for the third graders or the fifth graders. Sometimes we have done a few after-school programs, but that's not primarily what we do. There are other organizations that do that, but we always have a waiting list of schools that are wanting our free program. And... We have paid programs, free programs, and the paid programs help to pay for the free programs. And how else are you funded? Donations, Donations. sponsors, events, fundraising events. And so is it safe to say that you guys could use support on a regular basis? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) What are some of the, uh, uh, you know, obviously funding is the most important. How many schools are on that waiting list? I'm not sure at the moment. It's probably about eight or nine. Wow. Yeah, there's only so much we can do on the free level. And what does it cost to do the program? So, like, if somebody is listening, wanted to support a school or two schools, what kind of donation is required in order to make that happen? Well, if we break it way down, it's about $600 a day to have a teacher come in with all the supplies and the lesson plans and all those sorts so of like things. So, like, a $6,000 donation would provide a yes. 10 class yep. time. That's a that's a really close estimate of what okay. it would be, um, and usually. So if anyone's listening and you want to support a school, six thousand dollars would help a school to get a program, and that's also good information for maybe PTOs to have, where they could have fundraisers specifically for an art program. I know I feel so blessed. Auto school, the PTO 
pays for his teacher and she's wonderful and I have the pleasure of volunteering once a week to help her with his class but it's once a week compared to when I was a kid when it was every day I think it was every day that's how I remember it in my mind it was every day I don't know but I think that that's a really interesting thing that it's six thousand dollars would get that program there yeah, so if someone wanted to contribute or sponsor a school in their neighborhood or their child's or their grandchild's school, absolutely, we'd love to hear from them. But art is such an important part of education overall. You know, it teaches creative thinking, it teaches problem solving. It's the root of being able to do math and engineering because it's that creative process that you're nurturing so it really is educating the whole child and not just compartmentalizing it into this is visual art and that's what we do i agree and i think that's why i remember it on a daily basis because when you learn about dinosaurs you create the you know volcano and the little dinosaur land and when you learn about all the things i felt like everything was a beautiful art project when i was a kid and I see that at my son's school and I just feel so grateful, but I know that's not the case. And it's mostly, especially in underserved communities that have the worst situations. And I think in those underserved communities, there's a lot of children who could emotionally benefit from art as well. I mean, it's so much more than just learning. It's emotional therapy. Um, art therapy is such an important part of the work. So, And we have heard some very sad stories from kids that we've worked with and some of the schools just have so little one of the things we always talk about is that we go to Ramona Elementary all the time and that's a school that has nothing and a lot of those kids that live in Ramona have never seen the ocean oh my gosh it's so close so yeah but we have served 32 schools I believe in the last school year that's amazing so, yeah it's wow. been it's been wonderful to watch it grow because well, we started it from all that beautiful work. one teacher one art project wow. one school so that's been amazing that's incredible and art walk is a big funder of art reach yep. their partners and so let's talk about art walk this event is huge i know the largest one is in little italy Tell us just how big this event is and what it takes to do something like that. So just a few numbers to throw out there. We closed down 16 blocks wow. of the neighborhood. The event starts Saturday, but our setup begins on Thursday and continues all the way through the night on Friday night to Saturday morning. So how do you just get the streets cleared for an event like that? Like what is that in itself would terrify me, just getting people to get out of the way so that you can actually We it. try our best to never tow a car <laughs> if i wish i could say we never have but yeah it's a whole process but we have a big team of people out there letting people know we you know because we close india street it's one of the few events where india street is closed we work with all the restaurants to make sure that they know to tell their patrons to move their cars at a certain time but then we begin setting up tents and we're one of the few shows too that provides all the tenting. We love that uniform it look. Beautiful. It makes and a big difference. The safety factor with the wind in Little Italy, we feel it's really important. So um but yes, it's it's quite an undertaking. And how many years has the Little Italy art walk been going on? This next year in 2020 will be 36. That's amazing. So and our team took it over in 2004. So this will be what is that? 
my sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a math person, but I think it's sixteen years. That's incredible. And I think that so many people come to Little Italy for the first time because of Art Walk. Those people who are like North County. I had never been to Little Italy until that experience for me, and that was about ten years ago, I'd say. And it is also just such a beautiful event to see because it's so fun to see something that's thriving. And if you're an art lover like me, it's like just, I literally map out who I wanna see before the event so that I can make sure to dart around. Otherwise, there's almost more than you can take in in that period of time. I go back each day because I feel like I get stuck in conversation with people because I like to talk, but it's fun and it's such a great opportunity to buy art. I think that's one of the things that people forget. It's not just to go and look that the artists really rely on people to make those purchases too. And I think that people are often surprised to learn that artists are coming from all over Yeah, to be here. We've had artists from Asia and Europe and Australia. And then we always, of course, have the big Mexican art installation in front of the Mexican consul building in Little Italy. But in addition to all the visual artists who do make their living doing these shows, we have incorporated a lot of new elements over the years. We have a dedicated stage that's all dance performances. Mm -hmm. We have spoken word performances. We have a huge lineup of music on five different venues. There's an interactive art area for kids. There are usually several other interactive activities. So we really try to make it art of all kinds. Definitely. And we have such a beautiful dance community here in San Diego. So it's so fun to celebrate that at Art Walk as well. What are some of the biggest challenges that you experience creating an event like that? We've only talked about Little Italy. I want to hear a little bit about Liberty Station and Carlsbad too, because Carlsbad is the newest one. So logistically, there are always challenges just because the Little Italy event specifically is so big mm-hmm. that we're blocking people's driveways and asking them to I be okay that with when that. I my office was right in the heart so of that. <laughs> we are, you know, dealing with police and fire and health departments. So there are always those challenges that are going to come. Probably the biggest challenge is the fact that the events are free to attend. So we are heavily reliant on sponsorship to help make them happen. So we're so grateful to Mission Federal Credit Union, who's our title sponsor for the big April event. Without them, this event could not take place. Just our police bill alone is about $30,000 each year. And with all- it's so important, right? With everything that's happening in the world, How does that impact and influence some of the decisions and changes that you guys have had to make to keep your events safe? So we meet regularly with the police. We plan for a lot of different scenarios. We place large vehicles at the end of each block to prohibit people from driving in. There are, we do have armed police at the events and one of those kind of SWAT vehicles that they park within the footprint. So we, like to think that we're prepared for a lot of different Mm -hmm. risk management scenarios. And with an outside event, we've had such crazy things as one year there was a flood. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I think it was before you lived here, Jen, but there was a flood that happened because of a burst water main right in the middle of the event. I remember hearing about that, but I don't think that I was around for it. But I remember like seeing it on the news or reading about it. 
I so, felt bad for you. For you have to sense. really have a prepared team that has taken care of all the big things so that when the event is happening, you can handle, <laughs> yeah, so you can handle the crazy things that do come up. So I always think about you guys when it drizzles because you're dealing with hundreds of thousands, probably millions of dollars of art, actually, when you think about the numbers. What do you do? It's a rain or shine event, but I mean, I have looked up at the sky and like said a prayer for you because <laughs> it looks like it's going to rain and I'm thinking about all this beautiful art. We have been so fortunate. <laughs> it has rained on our installation and our strike, like full on rained. And it has drizzled on our event, but it's never actually rained at our walk. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. So let's keep up that trend. <laughs> let's do it. Sorry I asked. I shouldn't even have asked. That's a terrible but, question to talk about. I would say this. So most of the participants in these events do art shows for a living. So they're, they're in Houston also. one weekend and Northern California the next. And they travel and they've been in every kind of weather situation. So we keep them posted of course on the forecasts here so and isn't it true it, that a lot of artists now this is how they do it they're not in galleries they are going from art fair or art festival to create a living and is that something that you have seen a lot of we have seen a lot of that artists telling us that they would never have done a festival type show you know 10 years ago or so but a lot of galleries have closed especially in the LA area mm -hmm. so we've seen a lot of really high-end artists that probably would not have come to one of our events 10 years ago so we've seen the caliber of the art at our events just increase over the years I agree we've spent a lot of time talking about Little Italy because it's the next one up and it's top of my mind right now but what about Liberty Station and Carlsbad how are those events different what can people expect when they see those and how are they different from a logistics standpoint so the Liberty Station event I absolutely love it's in too. a park a grassy area surrounding a beautiful rose garden the art looks so pretty on the grass it's so easy to navigate because you can get through the entire event and really stop and talk to artists in a few hours and we have a wonderful lineup of music there as well and great food but there's also the backdrop of Liberty Station itself which is San Diego's flagship arts and culture district these days and and there's free parking, which everyone loves. So there are so many things about that event that I so absolutely love. So many great love. restaurants over at Public Market and just throughout the neighborhood. I love it, too. We always make, like, a weekend out of it. And we'll go either to Art Walk first or after. And then we stop at the lot and have a great meal. A lot of people don't realize the lot. It's a movie theater. But it is also a great restaurant. It's great food. such a great I patio. Agree. So I am partial to that event in some ways, I must say. It feels very upscale because of the setting, it seems, but it's, they're just two very different venues. And because the Liberty Station event is in the summer, it also attracts a lot of tourists and people visiting San Diego. So the artists really like having that different audience. But what we realized a few years ago is that people from North County are not coming down like they used really? to. And we decided to take an event to Carlsbad. 
Um, I love that venue. I think the view from up there is just so gorgeous. It's on Armada Drive. If you don't know where that is, it's up above the flower fields Mm -hmm. off of Palomar Airport Road. And sweeping view of the ocean from up there. Beautiful breezes. And the art looks so pretty up there as well. And completely different audience because I I feel like North County people kind of stay put in North Mm -hmm. County anymore. Yeah, how do you deal with like the competition of beaches and all that? Because these events are at the end of summer where it's still beachy time. What are your thoughts on overcoming that for people who do events in San Diego? I know that we have like the hammock culture here. Well, I think people that love art are going to come to art events. Yeah. It's probably a different audience that's going to spend a whole day at the beach than, than do this. And there are, you know, so many art type events around the county too. I think that's really good for all the art events. Mm -hmm. The more people are interested in it, the more they're going to come and they're going to invest in art and that's all a good thing. Definitely. Well, what, what do you guys do from a marketing and PR standpoint? I know that we support you with public relations and social media, but what is your, like, how do you tackle this? Because there are, is it about 100,000 people that come down to Little Italy, for example, on the weekend? How do you do that? So we try to do it all when it comes to marketing. We don't have a very large budget, so we do uh, depend on public relations mm-hmm. to take care of a lot of it. Luckily, because we have such a huge audience. We've had wonderful partnerships with some of the publications in town. We have support from San Diego Magazine, the Union Tribune, City Beat, San Diego Home and Garden from time to time has worked with us. One of the local umbrella news groups, Downtown News. So they all want to be at our event and be a part of the events. So we've been able to negotiate some very attractive advertising rates so that we're in print. We do have a television commercial that runs. We, of course, Olive does an amazing job on our social media. And we do the rankings with all the other art shows in like even the Western states. And our social media following is the highest of any of them. So Olive's done an amazing (laughs) job on that regard. So we also distribute posters and postcards throughout everywhere that will take them <laughs> all throughout so, the county. A lot of people ask me, and I think it's so important because the media market is changing so much. And I'd love to hear from you what you think is most effective right now. I always tell people that they don't believe me, but that an actual print story in the Union Tribune is still the most effective way to reach an audience to get a conversion for a live event. And I really believe that because I see it, but I'm curious to hear from you what your thoughts are on what is most impactful right now. Well, and you and I have had this conversation many times. We survey our attendees and always ask how they heard about the event. And the answer is usually, I come every year or a friend. And then the next thing is newspaper. Isn't it so wild? I wonder, I keep, I have this conversation with everybody because people you know, as a owner of a PR agency, freaks me out a little when people talk about how like certain media is dead. But then I see that it's totally not true. The thing that converts for events, 
consumer lifestyle product sales, if you actually want the sale for you know the conversion um, to turn into a real buyer, it's always in the print magazines and the print newspaper, the major regional newspaper in a community. And I'm also seeing a big shift with radio, where radio is really effective. Are you guys seeing that with your events as well? Yes, and we do have a couple of radio partnerships. I would never do an event without an investment in KPBS. I think for our audience, and it's an affluent, well-educated, art-loving audience, KPBS is absolutely essential. It's so interesting to me. I just, it gives me hope because when people say things like, oh, media is dying, I think, are you kidding? There is more than ever. It may not be the actual physical print stuff, but it drives me crazy to see some of these print publications folding because truly it's the most effective way for all of our clients to get the job done and to get in front of the right people. What are some of the biggest challenges that you experience with an event like ArtWalk? I know we talked about challenges with your destination management company before, but is there anything that comes to mind that you have some advice that you could share for other people who are embarking on such big endeavors? (laughs) I do teach a class at San Diego State, and my first statement always goes completely counter to everything that I actually do, and that is never try to start a free event. (laughs) But all your events are free. (laughs) Which is so funny, but it is difficult to sustain, and people think that when they attend an art walk event that the artist's booth fees that they pay to be there are paying for the event. But that is a sliver of the actual expense. We have a full-time staff. We have an office. We have all this marketing that we just talked about, the physical structure of the event. So it is challenging many times to make ends meet on these events. So, Well, why did you choose in the beginning to make it free? Well, when we inherited it, it, it was, was free. free. <laughs> okay. Got then it. you look at the fact that it is on 16 blocks, and it's pretty yeah. difficult to put a fence around Little Italy. <laughs> so we have dabbled at doing ticketed events, and one of the challenges with art events is there are other high-quality free art events and it just doesn't seem to go over well with them. When you change it up. Yes. What do you have in store for this coming year? Anything exciting that you can share with us? Ooh. We're talking to a couple sponsors about doing some interesting things around murals, but it's kind of in a baby stage right now. We're also looking to, last year with the Art Reach installation at our Art Walk event, we had artists transform surfboards into... I loved it. I, we're sitting right next to a surfboard right now that a, I had to have. <laughs> a very beautiful one. And that was very successful, both for attracting people to the event and for Art Reach as a fundraiser. I think they raised $30,000 in the net so for that. So we're working out the details of what we're going to do this year, but it's a surprise that I cannot yet reveal. But it's a lot of really great artists coming our way, too. So great. You had mentioned a group of artists from Canada. Yes. Coming. That's yes. Awesome. I helped a friend with a corporate event this summer in Banff, and I always like to include art in corporate events. So I hired some local artists to come be painting live at a reception, and they found out what I do, and now there are four of them coming. That's so and, cool. Yeah, it's gonna, and they're really great artists as well. So we'll be announcing for April our eight featured artists very soon. How do you choose your eight featured artists? We have a committee that votes each year. 
And we all argue about who it should be and why my artist is better than your artist. Awesome. And you've already chosen them for this year? No. Actually, the deadline for their application is Monday. So by the time this airs, we'll be fighting over who who gets to be one. We usually announce that in around the beginning of the year. Fantastic. And for anybody that's listening who is interested in a career in event management, what's your advice to them? What would you what would you tell them? What do you tell the students at SDSU? Well, one of the things that all of the SDSU meetings and event faculty tell them is get the whole wedding planning thing out of your system. <laughs> you all think you want to be wedding planners when you come in, but by the time you're finishing this course, you will not. <laughs> Interesting. Why do you think that people want to go that route to start? Is it just sort of like an infatuation with love and the whole process? I, because I think it's I Jennifer mean, Lopez's fault. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but it seems like... I didn't even enjoy planning my own wedding. I remember that I had plan A, and it was done so fast. I was like, well, maybe I should do a plan B, just because... (laughs) Make it harder? Yeah, and it it was easy because I got married in a small town, and it's like there was only a few vendors to choose from. I was the third of my sisters to get married, so I liked her photographer and her caterer. It was... Way too easy. First day dress shopping, found my dress, and I'm like, where is the excitement here? The thing is, after being a corporate event planner for all those years, you're dealing with all different types of meeting planners or marketing people or what have you, but they're making decisions for a business reason. And think about what happens with weddings. There's, It's all it's just emotion stuff. and family drama. And then I really encourage people that want to get into the field to do a few different internships because there are so many different types of events Mm -hmm. out there. We do these big public festivals. There's all the destination management type work. There is the production element of, you know, orchestrating the actual meeting content and the audiovisual and all of that. So there are so many different facets to the field. And now it's wonderful that there are these courses at San Diego State. The one I teach is part of the extended studies program, but you can actually get a four-year degree now in hospitality and event management, I think is the title of it. So there's a lot of education, but even with those programs, you're encouraged to do an internship. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights. I find it very interesting. I am so grateful that people like you exist because I am not an event planner. I don't know how you deal with the stress and pressure. And then it's just all over. And I get that like serious event hangover of depression where it just like the adrenaline goes away. Yes. And um, I learned about that early on in my career and thought, wow, this is really not for me. So we always joke and clarify when people ask us if we're event planners, we always say, nope, we are not event planners. We promote events because it is so bad for me. So props to all of you crazy event planners out there. And thank you so much for the great work you do and the partnership that we have with you. I love what I do. So it's really not work at all. Ah, that's so great to say. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in to Illuminate Greatness. We have enjoyed this time and we'll connect again. Interested in receiving free marketing and public relations resources? Visit IlluminateGreatness.com and subscribe to our newsletter to receive valuable weekly content that will inspire you 
and help you grow your business. That's illuminategreatness.com. Thank you for listening to the Illuminate Greatness podcast brought to you by Olive Creative Strategies.